0: Gracious God, let these, be, these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Sometimes Jesus' teaching doesn't sit well with our sense of timing. Let me offer you an example. If you were a Chicago Cubs fan at any time over the last 108 years, <laughs> blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh, could feel a little trite. A Cards fan last year wouldn't have wanted to quote to a Cubs fan, blessed are you who weep. It would have felt paternalistic. For over a century, the Cubbies had cause to ask, when is that laughter coming, God? But on Wednesday night last week, the laughter came. And you can be sure that some of the saints above were laughing too. Cards fans, don't lament. Remember, blessed are you who are hungry. Plus, now when we beat the Cubs next season, we don't have to feel as bad. (laughs) The depth of Jesus' teaching is how it holds together seeming opposites in life. Joy and pain. Every life lived fully contains measures of weeping and of laughter. God is with us in the extremes and in the humdrum of daily life. God's love is comprehensive. I've mentioned before to this congregation one of my favorite prayers in the Book of Common Prayer. It comes in the office of Compline, the prayers we say at the end of the day. It goes like this. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night, and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend to the sick, Lord Christ, give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, and all for your love's sake. This prayer, like our service today, seeks to comprehend The fullness of life. Give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, and shield the joyous. There's a fullness to this prayer. As I said, there's a stretch to our liturgy today as well. This morning we will give thanks for life at its very beginning. As we baptize two young souls. And we will bless those who have died. As we dedicate our altar of remembrance, we will hold together the two ends of life this morning with blessing. As we've been getting ready around here, I've been thinking a great deal this week about holding things together. I'm betting that many of you, like me, are weary of this election season. We've been so embattled as a country. We've been embattled in our own families. And now, some of us are worrying whether we've drawn the line so deeply that after Tuesday has come and gone, we will have a difficult time coming up out of the trenches. Will we hold together, regardless of the outcome? In the midst of last week came the feast day of Richard Hooker, the theologian with a funny name, who lived in a divided day. You might wonder what... A, uh, a, a, a theologian of his day, back in the Elizabethan time has to say to our own. And by the time that Hooker was ordained, the Church of England had been Catholic, Protestant, Catholic again and Protestant again. And it finally settled with Queen Elizabeth I somewhere on middle ground. But Richard Hooker saw, and he described a unique giftedness in this middle way. The via media, he said. This middle way had a giftedness to it. The prayer for his feast day includes this phrase, which is drawn from his writing. God, grant that we may maintain that middle way, not as a compromise for the sake of peace, but as a comprehension for the sake of truth. The a fine distinction there, but an important one. Grant that we may maintain the middle way, not as a compromise for the sake of peace, but as a comprehension for the sake of truth. There's that word again, comprehension. As Anglicans following from Richard Hooker, we speak of the virtue of comprehensiveness in one church, we hold together and celebrate Protestant and Catholic traditions. We've held together different perspectives, political parties, and viewpoints. And our quintessential theologian asks us to see all this holding together not as a weak compromise for the sake of a fragile peace, but as a stretching, as a spiritual gift that helps us to hold a wider truth. It strikes me that many of those we consider saints lived in a way that was marked by this sort of comprehension. They found ways to hold together difficult opposites. They were present to the highs and the lows of life. Saints seem often to be set apart, made holy, by their ability to see opposing forces and find another way through. The Episcopal priest and contemplative Cynthia Bourgeau seeks that sense of comprehensiveness as she writes about the Trinity in her latest book. She sees in the Trinity, the threeness of God, a way out of polarity, this or that, the either-or liberal conservative patterns of our day. Like Richard Hooker, for Bourgeau, the truth is not something that I hold on my own. The truth is not something that I hold over your head to show you that you are wrong. Imagine, Bourgeot says, our political conversations transformed by a Trinitarian perspective, which teaches, the enemy is never the problem, but the opportunity. The problem will never be solved through eliminating or silencing the opposition but only through creating a new field of possibility large enough to hold the tension of the opposites and to launch them in a new direction. The enemy is never the problem, but the opportunity. How different would our political season be if we saw things that way? How often do we see our opponents as opportunities? Bourgeot points to a basic wisdom in Christianity. There is always a third way. None of us has a monopoly on truth. Whatever happens on Tuesday, we won't be able to simply dismiss the other perspective. None of us has a monopoly on truth. Jesus' teaching this morning challenged those who thought they held the truth. In Luke's gospel, these are his first words of teaching. To his newly chosen apostles, blessed are you who are poor. Can you feel the shockwaves? Throughout time, wealth and health have been interpreted as signs of God's blessing. The whole book of Job, that great book of suffering, at the end, as a sign of God's blessing, God gives Job back his wealth, back his health. That's the way we traditionally see it. Even today, how often do we hear someone say of their many possessions, I am blessed. Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor. The words were a challenge to his own followers, and they're a challenge to those of us who seek to follow Jesus today. Blessed are you who are hungry, who weep when people hate you. This is not the popular wisdom of our day. It's not the popular idea in any day. But Jesus is turning our sensibility upside down. Jesus is challenging us to take a different perspective. Jesus wants us to comprehend. I think this teaching, like much of Jesus' teaching, challenges us. Not simply to change our view from one side to another. Jesus didn't play those games in his day. He didn't pick one side in a debate over another. Jesus rewrote the playbook. He challenged his followers to grow, to see opponents as opportunities to grow, to wrap our minds around ever-widening ideas, to wrap our hearts around an ever-widening, diverse human population. Love your enemies. Jesus invites us to comprehend. And so this day we hold together with all the saints, the whole of life. We look for God in the beginning and in the end. In the words that come from the letter of Ephesians we started out with today, words that will come a few chapters later, we pray for the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love. We pray that God might continue to keep watch with all, all those saints and souls who work or watch or weep. And we pray that God might continue to shield the joyous and all for thy love's sake. Amen.